Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here. Hey, we're in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Pull your notes out or maybe fire up your Journey Church app so that you can follow along that way. We're in the final week of a series called This is Journey that we're so excited about. I also need your help inside your bulletin. You're going to see a little card that looks like this. It says SCA. That stands for Summit Christian Academy Campus. I don't know if our church is growing but I know people are coming back to church after nearly a year away. A lot of people talk to someone after our 9.30 service. A Christian is my first Sunday back since COVID. We have more and more of those every week, which means we're about out of space. So we are beginning in two weeks, a fourth Sunday morning service at 10 a.m., off-site at Summit Christian Academy, live kids, um, live teaching most of the time, live worship every Sunday. We are praying that 75 people in our 930 service and 75 people in our 11 a.m. service would choose to make this their service for the next probably nine months until we were able to all come back together in our building. I really do believe before we get into our building, we'll have three services at Summit Christian and three here. I think probably in August, we'll have an 8, 930 and an 11 over there and an 8, 930 and 11 over here until our new building is built, but it's coming. And if you'd be willing to be a missionary to our community, to minister our community by making room for them at our building. That would be huge. You can just click, uh, check on this card that I'm willing to be a missionary to the community by attending worship at our SCA service. You can turn this in at the end of the service. Um, And if you'd be willing to serve, if you say, yeah, I'll go over there and I'll be a greeter, I'll be an usher, I'll help set stuff up, I'll work in the family ministries, that would be huge. Just check that box. Um, I'm willing to serve at our new service. For those of you who might be watching online, good morning. Um, thanks for being with us. You say, I'd, I'd be willing to go to SCA. By the way, this will be by far our most socially distant service, just the way we're able to set up the gym over there. So if you're more comfortable um, in that way, this would be the service you can go to. You can get this card by texting Journey SCA to 474747. Fill this out. Let us know. We'll be sending out more information by email as we get closer to February 7th, Super Bowl Sunday, where Lord willing... Um, um, the Chiefs are getting ready to play and to run the thing back and get their second. Amen. That would be that. That would be awesome. Scott in the nine thirty service was like, "It's been an unbelievable spiritual year." And one person was like, "And he's like, and the Chiefs are playing and the place erupted." And I thought, "Okay, we need to tell these people about Jesus because we got a bunch of followers of Patrick Mahomes in here, but maybe not like the Lord of the Universe." Um, so we're in a series called "This Is Journey." Here's the purpose and the premise of the series. We're trying over the first three weeks of twenty twenty one to learn the heartbeat of our local church. So you can engage in the calling and vision that God has given to us. We've been talking about the things that we are passionately pursuing this year. We talked about prayer the first week. We talked about discipleship, becoming a disciple, and making disciples last week. And today we're going to talk about being a church that lives on mission and experiences all that God has for us while we live on that mission. Um, But you need to understand, when I say learn the heartbeat of our church, I mean you, not us. We don't believe a church is an organization. We don't believe the church is journey. We don't believe the church is a building. The church is made up of individual followers of Jesus Christ. So you are the church. So when I say we want you to understand the heartbeat of our our ministry this year, we're saying we want you to learn to pray. We want you to become a disciple who makes disciples. And we want you to live on mission. That's what this series is about. Um, and we are so serious about thinking that, that we're supposed to build people, not the church, that when we drafted our mission statement, we said, we're not even, we're not even going to try to build a church. We're going to build people. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he would build his church if his disciples would build people. So we said, let's lean into building people, and if we build people well, God will build his church well. That is the goal, and as we get into Acts chapter 2 today, we're calling this Vision Sunday, but really we're looking backwards. Uh, You could could call this message back to the future, because here's what we're trying to do today in Acts chapter 2. We're trying to study the church of the past to see our church in the future. Uh, we, We don't have a vision for church. God has a vision for church. We don't have a vision for discipleship. God has a vision for discipleship. We have not recreated anything. We're we're trying to find what God has already said is the template and the pattern and live according to that. So in Acts chapter 2, we're going to go back to see how our church should be moving forward. And then we're also, because it's Vision Sunday, going to celebrate some of God's goodness to journey in 2020. It's been one of the hardest years. It was one of the hardest years and one of the best years, I think, of of our life as a church. And in 2021, we're kind of... We've kind of been going back to the future a lot because this is the 10-year anniversary of 
a lot of things that started on our church in 2011. First Sunday of the year, I told you it was the exact date that uh, we met for the first time, invited 13 people over to our house and said, would, would you help us start this movement in our community? Last weekend was a weekend 10 years ago. We traveled to North Carolina and South Carolina and, and uh, Georgia to, to go see some churches and get connected with a church planning network. This is the week 10 years ago that we had our first public kind of vision casting service. We told our 13 people, you can invite everyone in your life to come hear about our new church. And on January 26, 2011, we sat down. 53 people showed up to hear the vision of our church. We had almost $2,000 given in the offering, and we left thinking, holy cow, we're going to make it. And, and it was so good that the next week, 40 people showed up, and only $300 was given in the offering. And I told Danielle, at this pace, we're going to have 10 by the end of the month, and we're going to have to pay them. They're not only not going to give in the offering, um, but we, we might not even make it to Easter. And 10 years later, God has been so very, very good. Uh, God has been so, so good to us. So we're going to talk about the past. We're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about Jesus today. Before we do all that, let's just stop and pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet today? And just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God to speak to you this morning and tell him you're listening. God, that's our collective prayer that you'd speak to us. We'll be listening. Thank you, God, for the unbelievable year you allowed us to experience in 2020 as we seek you for our 2021 vision. Show us how Christians in the past shaped how Christians in the future should live their lives and help us to do that with all of our hearts as we move forward this year. We love you, and God, we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 40. We started this series in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus told a group of his disciples, wait and pray. I'm going to give you a gift and a mission. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The mission is going to be to take that Holy Spirit and help everyone know who Jesus is. In Acts chapter 2, that began to happen. And by the time we get to verse 40, Peter has preached almost his entire sermon. And now he's given the invitation saying, here's who you are. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what's going on, man. Come to Jesus. And we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 40, and here's how Peter wraps up this message with many other words. He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Before we look into how the early church grew so much spiritually and how the early church grew their impact so significantly, I want to look into how the early church viewed themselves and the world because in verse 40 there's a key verse that I think a key phrase you should be aware of Peter told the people who he was inviting to Jesus that they had to save themselves from this corrupt generation if you have a pen you might underline those two words in verse 40 this corrupt generation I think that followers of Jesus need to be reminded again in 2021 that if we're going to connect to Jesus with everything we have we have to see almost everything outside of Jesus as being a corrupt generation Peter was saying there are no answers in culture and society. There is no peace in culture and society. There is no hope in culture and society outside of Jesus. Nothing will satisfy your soul in this world but Jesus. So you have to decide whether you're going to leave the world to cling to Jesus, come out of this corrupt generation. I have been having conversations with Christian friends the last few weeks that make me think that they are holding on to Jesus with one hand and this generation with the other and trying to figure out how they can bring those together. Been talking to some friends of mine who are Democrats. I think every Christian should have friends who are both Democrats and Republicans that they can have conversations and discussions with, not arguments, because we can learn so much from each other and we can see where where our own political bent falls short of Jesus. And I've had people saying to me over the past two weeks, Well, now that things have changed, everything will be better. Now that Trump is gone, everything will be better. And I asked him just one simple question Do you really believe that? Like, I mean, you just said that, but do you, re- like, do you really believe the whole world is better now because, of, because like one person switched roles? You really believe that? And they're like, well, I mean, when you say it that way, <laughs> like, no. 
But for a minute, I, maybe my hope clung to that. And then I've got some Republican friends who are saying, just wait two years. Just wait two years. 34 Senate seats are up. Wait two years. Wait four years. Wait eight years. We're going to take it back, and then everything will be okay. And I ask him the same question. <clears throat> Do you, like, you really believe that? You really believe if the Republicans take the Senate back in 2022, then all will be right in the world? Like, you, you said that. You really believe that? And they're like, well, I mean, now that you phrase it that way, <laughs> I mean, no, I don't believe that. Peter was saying, anytime you try to hang on to Jesus and generation and you try to pull them together, you're going to be unsatisfied. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to have hope. He said, you've got to leave this corrupt generation and you've got to cling to Jesus. You've got to cling to Jesus with both hands. And I look at this phrase and I think it's one we should have underlined. I think it's one we should talk about. We hold most tightly to Jesus when we release expectations that anything else will fully satisfy us. And folks, in 2021, we've got to quit thinking Jesus and this happening is going to make everything all better because it's just Jesus. Amen. And for those of you who have studied this book, let's have a theology discussion for a minute. What in the canon of prophetical scripture makes you think things are going to get better before Jesus comes back? It is good. I know. I got, like, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this way. What in these 66 books of the Bible makes you think the world is going to get better for followers of Jesus? Have you all read the end? It's going to get harder for followers of Jesus. And it's time we start learning how to pull up our bootstraps and not figure out what will make life easier for us. Because Peter said, if we're going to follow Jesus... You have to come out of this corrupt generation because it doesn't appear that, the, that that's the direction the world is going. So we better hang on to Jesus with both hands. Amen? Like that's the mess. The first message given to the church was it can't be Jesus and generation. It can't be Christ and culture. Like you're gonna, it's going to be scary. That moment of in-between is going to be hard, but you're going to have to let go. Jesus and anything, you have to let go, and you're going to have to grab hold of Jesus with both hands. And in the midst of everything, Jesus will bring you peace. You say, how do we hold on to Jesus with both hands like the early Christians did? I want to show you just two things from Acts chapter 2 that our church is trying to lean into this year. And hopefully by doing this, we can become who God has called us to become. Number one, we're going to talk about the temple gathering. We're going to talk about the temple gathering. There's been a move in the church the last 25 years to move away from large gatherings and to move church just into homes. As a matter of fact, there, there are a lot of people who believe large churches aren't even real churches that they're just events. There's been a move that big is bad and small is spiritual. But when you look at the book of Acts, that's not really, it's not really what we learn. And I'll be honest with you, I think I've studied and thought about that concept a lot, and enough so that we kind of built the church on that premise. Let's figure out how to, how to feel like a small church and do most of our church stuff outside of the temple, outside of the building, but then this week I read something in Acts chapter 2 that I don't know that I'd recognized before. I always thought that the church gathered on the first day of the week, that teaching, that worship, that prayer. And then if they ever gathered during the week, it was always in homes. And then I read Acts 2.46 this week, and I thought, hmm, that's different. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There was this daily temple gathering, this, this daily gathering. So why? Several reasons. One, I think the temple was the only place that was holding the crowd that had become the church. But I think we should ask theologically, why were Christians coming to the Jewish temple? Like, were they, were they followers of Jesus or were they still followers of Old Testament Judaism? None of the early disciples would have thought that they converted from Judaism to become a follower of Jesus. They would have thought they completed their Judaism, not converted from their Judaism. Like, the Old Testament Messiah is really here. But you say, why were they still going to the temple? The book of Acts tells us why they still went to the temple every day. Initially, it was to pray. We read that John and Peter often, at, at the time of prayer, went to the, they were going to pray. So initially, they went to pray, but ultimately, they ended up pursuing their calling as they went. And I find just this, enti this entire screen, this entire concept, I find interesting for our story in 2020. Because Journey was a church that in the first three months of 2020 ran, we, we had about 1,500 people every Sunday from kids to adults who were, in, who were in our building between here and Summit Lakes Middle School, about 1,500 people who were coming to church. And COVID hit, and for 13 weeks, no one came to church. And then in June, we opened the doors of the church again, and about 200 people came back. 
This is a very, very small number of people. Um, in July, you had to wear masks to sit in church, and that number dropped even a little more. It's like, whew, no one's ever going to come back. In July, or in August, we got three or 400, and then we had 21 days of prayer. And from the first day of 21 days of prayer to the last 21 days of prayer, our church went from 400 to 700. People came to pray, but they stayed for church. Like people who hadn't come back, who didn't feel safe, who just got used to watching online, they, they came to pray, and they stayed for church. And, and then in the fall, we kind of averaged about that 700 number, which is about 40% of our people actually sitting in the seats, the rest watching online. And then in January, we had 10 days of wait and pray, and we had a, another movement of people who came to pray, and in like 10 days, our attendance went up about 20 25%. You say, why? People came to pray. They stayed for church came to pray, and they thought, we've got to get reengaged in church. That's, that's what happened in the early church in Acts chapter 2. You say, why were they going to the temple? They came to pray, but ultimately, while they were there, they decided to connect and pursue their calling. And in Acts 2.42, we find out what they did. They devoted themselves, while they were there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So there was some discipleship, to fellowship. There was some community. There was the breaking of bread, meals with one another. And, and to prayer. They came to pray, but they stayed for church. Now, understanding a little bit of what the temple and the temple complex looked like 2,000 years ago will help you understand how this happened. So when we look at the temple 2,000 years ago, like I knew he was old, but I didn't know he was that old. Those of you not on social media are like, what? what's going on right now? Why is Bernie Sanders on the screen? He's everywhere. He'll be in your wallet soon. Watch out. Um, it's always nervous laughter. It's always like, should we laugh? Should we not laugh? Um, he said it, not me. Um, when we look at the temple complex 2,000 years ago, we see this massive temple. The temple's just the structure, but the temple mount is this massive complex. Yet all the administrative offices here, you would enter kind of up the southern steps. Here's where you'd buy all your sacrifices and, and you'd spend money to buy things that you could take to the priest to sacrifice for you. But these columned areas all around the Temple Mount were called Solomon's Colonnade. It's where people would hang out. And the early church would go, would go to pray. They would go to offer their prayers. That's how they were worshiping their Jewish Messiah who they believed was represented in every sacrifice and who they believe was represented by the priest who was serving them and who they believe was represented by the temple that contained the presence of God. They believe Jesus was represented in all of that. But then they would, get, they would gather together in groups of thousands and they would hang out and, and they, became, they became the church. They would gather together. They came to pray, but they gathered to talk about the mission that Jesus had called them to. And this is where I think a redefinition of church is necessary in 2021. Because when we look at this word church, when we look at the concept of church, the Greek word for church used in scripture is the word ekklesia. Let me, let me tell you how that became church and let me tell you why we need to work our way back to ekklesia. Ekklesia, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, not English. The Greek word for church was ekklesia. One of the first languages that the New Testament was eventually translated into was German. And the German word for ecclesia is kirsha. But when they translated the Bible to English, often from German, English people would just phonetically say the word. So if we were phonetically reading this German word kirsha, what, what, what would we say? Kirch. It's the kirch. You go, go to kirch. That's, that's where we got the word church, and it's where the world got the concept of church. That's where the Christians go. But that's not... This, a church was never a place. Church was never a place. The word ecclesia was a word used of Greek city-states. They were one of the first civilizations in the history of the world to use this word. It was a group of people who had been assembled for the purpose of doing business. It was a city council meeting. An ecclesia would happen this way. You'd go knock on the doors in a Greek city-state of all the men in the town who were Greek citizens, and you would say, hey, we need to meet at the auditorium today. We've got to take a vote on some things. We've got to do some business. We've got to get direction from the emperor, or we've got to make a decision about something going on in our town. Like the ecclesia was a business meeting. An ecclesia was a group of people who came together to do business. And when people looked at the followers of Jesus who came to pray, but then who watched them together get together and talk, they were always talking about the business of Jesus. They would gather 
to talk about the business that Jesus gave them, and then they would scatter to do it. So let me ask you, in your understanding of church, are you here today to do business with God? Is the reason you walked into this gathering today so that you could figure out what business God had for you and what business God wanted to work through you, or you just come into a service to sing a little and listen to a little and learn a little? See, the ecclesia was never a service. The ecclesia was never a building. The ecclesia was a place where you met to decide and determine things you were going to do. And that's what Jesus' church is supposed to be, a group of people who gather to do business. Business in our hearts, business with our hands, and then we scatter to go accomplish the work of Jesus. It was the ecclesia. That was his church that came together. The kirsha, the kirch, the church was never a place. It was a people with a purpose. They gathered for business. They scattered for ministry. That's what we want Journey to do. And as we look at what that looked like, several years ago, about four years ago, a team of us at Journey went through all the New Testament and we looked at every time that Christians gathered and we said, what did they almost always do? We, if our gatherings look like the gatherings of the Bible, what were the things that always happened when the New Testament gatherings took place? And we came up with seven that we, that we would like to get to. First, they would always teach about Jesus in the gospel. They would always teach about Jesus in the gospel. As a matter of fact, you cannot find a sermon or a talk in the New Testament that does not eventually work its way back to Jesus. What Jesus has to say about marriage, what Jesus has to say about difficult people, what Jesus has to say about money, what Jesus has to say about forgiveness, it's, all, it's always about Jesus. So we decided a few months ago, every sermon, we're just going to teach through the life and teaching of Jesus. We started a few months ago in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be back there next week, a new series called Chasing Perfection. Uh, we've already been 10 messages in Matthew chapter 5. We've got another 10 going through the second half of the chapter, learning the standards that demand a Savior. Jesus says to connect to God, here's the way you have to live your life. When you hear his standards, you'll think that's impossible. And Jesus will say, yes, without me, it's impossible, which means you need me every day in every way. The sermons were always about Jesus. The message was always about Jesus. But then let me give you the other six, and I'll talk through them as you fill them out. It appears that every time they met on the first day of the week in their ecclesia, it appears that every time they gathered large, that they took the Lord's Supper, either as a part of a lunch that they shared after the gathering or as a very specific part of the gathering itself. There was always the worship of God. In Acts chapter 2, you would have seen this at the temple through sacrifices, uh, through symbols, through the altar of incense, through the, uh, the altar in the middle of the courtyard where they would sacrifice the animals. Later in the church, this became creeds that were actually spoken. It was just, it, it was the things that they believed that they wanted everyone to know. Eventually, those creeds became doxologies, which means they put them to kind of music so you could remember them better. And in today's church, a lot of it is, is worship. Um, it's, it's the things we say that we believe about God and who he is and how he works. So a lot of the temple worship of the Old Testament, you would always, if you went to the temple, you would always see a fire burning, drifting to heaven. That's what worship is. That's why people raise their hands in worship. It's a picture of, I want, I want what I believe. I want what I feel. I want it to raise up. I want it to go up to God. So there's always this element of worship, sacrifices, creeds, doxology. Today we sing it more than say it but it is declaring out loud together what we believe about God and how he works in the world. There was always soul care to the hurting. As a matter of fact, we we find that this is one of the staples of the early church, that they, they had not just a care for the hurting, but God gave them a supernatural ability in the first generation of the church to actually work signs and miracles that would help people understand This Jesus really is the supernatural son of God. There was a fellowship of saints. Almost every time it talked about the church, it talked about fellowship as hanging out spiritually. There was meditation on spiritual truths. So the teachers would teach and then there would always be kind of this processing element of that. And then there was an application of next steps. And when I look at this screen and where journey is and where we want to go, I see that we've got a little ways to go. I think our church... For the most part, our gatherings, our ecclesia, I think we do three of these, but really two and a couple halves. I think every time we gather, we talk about Jesus and the gospel. I think every time we gather, we're pretty good about having the opportunity to worship God. I know there are some of you probably that take more deeply than other the meditation of what you're learning. Maybe you take those daily reflection sheets home and you think about it all week. A lot of you are trying to apply what you learn. But when you look at our ecclesia, 
And you look at taking the Lord's Supper every week. You look at having time to care or be cared for. You look at hanging out. It's like we don't have a lot of time and space for that in, in our facility and in our schedule. And really, that's, that's our fault. When I say that's our fault, that's, that's probably my fault. Um, when we originally built a building, and you'll, you could hear more about it on the podcast this week, um, I, I, I always wanted our church to feel like a small church. I grew up going to small churches. I grew up in a really small town, and I thought, I want our church to feel small. I just think small feels better. Our church does not feel like a small church. Our church feels like a busy church um, because there's, there's, just, there's not time and space to do some of the things that the ecclesia always did when they gathered. So four years ago, we put together this list and we said, we got to figure out how to get there. We've got we've to have a temple gathering that allows for all of those things. And when we finally went and sat down with an architect and they said, what kind of building do you want? We gave them this list and said, we really don't, it just has to be able to accomplish this. Because right now we are not able to do this. And we, as so many of you know, who have been with us in 2019, designed and then cast a vision for a new building. The blue is the current building we're sitting in. The white is all of the new that we're planning to build. When you lift the roof off, you can see that, you know, we go from an aud- this auditorium today probably has 300 chairs set up in it. This one will have 1,200. The building that we're in today has a hallway that you can hang out in if someone doesn't run over you. This one has an atrium kind of foyer area. The square footage of our atrium foyer is bigger than our entire old building. We've added all kinds of additional children's classrooms because I was an education major before God called me to ministry, and I've never been in an elementary school where the first grade classroom and the second grade classroom don't have walls between them. I assume it's harder to learn for kids when there's no walls between the classrooms, and we believe that we're, we're called to educate kids spiritually. So we said we probably need to put them in rooms and like not just have curtains between them because that might be a little distracting in what they're doing. We need enough parking so that after people have come to church, they can hang out and not have to leave because the parking lot is full. Like We designed a building that would allow us to accomplish those seven things because we wanted our church to be able to be together. We wanted our church to be the ecclesia of the New Testament. I saw it at Christmas this year with 12 Christmas services Um, over five days, but on Monday and Tuesday, we only had one each. Um, And I watched on those Monday and Tuesdays things that I haven't seen at Journey since we used to be in the middle school together. When we finished church on Monday and we finished church on Tuesday, for like an hour, people just hung out. And like we watched families talk and we watched kids running around the hallway and I kind of stood back and looked and I thought, this is what church feels like. Everybody, people who need soul care are getting it. People who need fellowship are getting it. Like, there's just time to let this sit. I watched it Monday and Tuesday, and I brought our staff together and said, what you've seen the last two days is why we're building that building. Our church needs this. In our 10 days of wait and pray, three of those prayer services were evening services. On Sunday night, the guy who locks down our building came to me an hour after the service ended. He had a chain with a padlock on it, because that's how we shut our front door now that they've ripped off the front of the building. And he, he tried to hand me the chain and padlock. And he's like, I have to go home and people aren't leaving. And I was like, you should give that to Pastor Ryan because I promise you, like, I don't know how to lock up anything um, in this building. So I'm not sure where, where it ended up. But, but he was like basically saying like, do people don't hang out for hours after journey? And I'm like, they will. They will. Because that's the ecclesia. That's, that's what happened in the New Testament when people got together. They kind of stayed together until their souls were full and then they scattered to do the ministry that God has called them to. So we said, we're going to try to build a building, and then COVID hit. Our church pledged $10.7 million in November of 2019 to build a building, then COVID hit. And I went to our elder team in the spring of COVID as we were heading into the summer and just said, guys, I think it'd be financially irresponsible to burden our church with a building project right now. There's no way until COVID is completely over that we can start this building project. And they said, you're just scared. We're starting. We outvote you. We're going. Um, And I said, okay. Same group of guys that when they had a mask mandate come out in July, I went to them and I said, guys, I don't think we can have church until people don't have to wear masks. Nobody wants to wear a mask in the church. And they were like, "Uh, you're just scared. Um, We're having church this Sunday and you're just going to figure it out as you go. Our, Our elders have led so strongly, so courageously. When I was weak, they were so strong. I'm so grateful for them. We are actually right now in a season of nominating people for our elder board. If you're a small group leader, if, a, if a, um, a serve group leader you're serving under, if you think, man, they'd be good, they'd be a good voice to help lead our church, you can grab one of these cards when you leave in the vestibule. They're on the tables. Um, it's all an online process. We've got already six names that have been submitted for three spots. 
but we're asking God to help us build a team who can help lead our church because this year our elder team really helped lead our church. And you say, what has, what has happened in COVID year? Give me some real numbers. $10.7 million pledged in 2019. 91% of the people who have pledged are giving towards their pledge and gave towards their pledge in 2020. Uh, $6 million of the 10.7 has already come in. And of the 4.7 that was left, we sent an email to everyone who had an outstanding pledge in October and said, if you need to back off, you can back off. If you're still in, let us know. And 90% reconfirmed their pledge and said, we're good on the timetable that you need. What if you say I need to give less? What if you say I need more time? What if you say I'm not going to be able to give any at all? But just in 2020, we had 141 different families who did not pledge but who gave to the building, and the total of those offerings was nearly a quarter million dollars. It is amazing. We're going to get there. Um, only God, but journey, we're going to get there. And what's going to happen is at the end of 2021, we're going to look around and we're going to have the ecclesia that God has designed for us. And we're going to linger and there's going to be better ministry than we've ever had because we just kept moving forward. The vision of temple gatherings that we see in the book of Acts and in the early church is powerful. It's needed. And we believe God's calling us to do better. But that's just kind of the, the, the big part of Acts chapter 2. The smaller part, the more individual part, um, is that the people met on mission. The people met on mission. You say, Christian, man, I just, I don't know. You're, I mean, you're talking about bigger space. You're talking about more people. It's like, I just feel like the church is going to be so big, I won't meet anyone. The early church met while they were on mission. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and just scroll our way through it slowly again. It says that the early followers of Jesus devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Almost all of those were healing people who were hurting. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, which means they used that church building daily. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Listen, Acts chapter 2 is a picture of a huge spiritual community that was having huge spiritual impact. With all due respect to Francis Chan, the early church was not a home group movement. 3,000 people on day one. We read by the end of Acts chapter 4 that the men's ministry had 5,000 people. Divorce was so rare in those days, you could probably say almost every man had a wife. That's a church of 10,000. The average family had 6 to 10 children. They probably had 16 to 20,000 people that were a part of this movement. This was not a home church movement. Yes, they met people that they ended up inviting to their homes, but this was a huge spiritual movement, a huge crowd of people and a huge spiritual movement in Acts chapter 2. In a church that size, could anyone have, could, could the whole church have possibly known each other, yes or no? No. But the purpose of the church was not to know the people, it was to know Jesus. See, in a church that size, there's no way everyone can know everyone, but everyone knew Jesus and everyone knew his mission and everyone was on mission and God was moving wonderfully. And as people lived on mission, they met their spiritual community while they were living on mission. We live in a church world today that largely picks their ecclesia based on the worship and the teaching. What do I like to sing? Who do I like to listen to? Who's a pastor that I like to listen to? And can I find friends there? We often don't base our decision of ecclesia on the mission that God has called us to, the business he has to do in our life. In the New Testament, it was totally different. It was Jesus and the mission, but then as they leaned into those, everything else that we're seeking for came too. The Christians of the early church pursued a relationship with Jesus, and they pursued a relationship with his mission, and they met and loved one another on the way. This phrase, one another, is used 98 times in the New Testament to talk about how Christians lived in community with each other. We even learned that they ended up in each other's homes having meals. But there were thousands of them who chose Jesus and his mission. And as they chose Jesus and his mission, they developed spiritual community that was life-shaping. So let's look at the early church. We see they pursued four things. The early Christians pursued discipleship. And as they did it, they experienced community. It didn't say that they went to a small group so they could find friends. It said they were all about learning the apostles' teaching. But as they did that, they did that together, and eventually some in the larger crowd became friends in the smaller crowd. Journey, I'm going to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to pursue discipleship. I'm not going to ask you to get in a small group. 
I'm going to ask you to pursue discipleship because I think as you pursue discipleship, you're going to find spiritual community. If you're a man in our church that's not involved in a discipleship group, Tuesday night, this Tuesday night at 6.30, Pastor Ryan begins a men's ministry where they're going to disciple men this spring. On, On Tuesday, February 9th, our ladies' ministry will kick off. If you're not in a discipleship group, ladies, come to the church and get in a ladies' discipleship group on Tuesday nights at 6.30. You say... I need a discipleship group. I want to learn the apostles' teaching. I want to grow. How do I do that? Text journey groups to 474747. It'll spit you a list out of all of them from apologetics to systematic theology to Christian foundations to men's ministry to women's ministry to everything else. If you pursue discipleship, I promise you, you'll meet people along the way. The early church pursued the apostles' teaching. And as they did that, they met people. What else did the early church do? The early church pursued ministry to the hurting. And as they did it, they experienced community. They did not wait for a friend to go do it with them. They pursued the mission of Jesus. And as they pursued the mission of Jesus, they met the people of Jesus. One of the areas you'll read on the ministry report that our church feels led to do better in is being a leader in our community in the area of racial unity, racial reconciliation, figuring out how to make sure our church looks like the cafeterias that our kids are eating lunch in in our public school system, that we are as diverse as our community so every person in our community feels like they're at home when they walk into Journey. We can do better in that area. We learn there's a huge wound in our community in that area for a lot of different reasons. So we decided we needed some discipleship in that area. We did a six-week Bible study on Sunday nights called Undivided where a group of white pastors and a group of black pastors from around the country sat down and just talked like friends would talk if they weren't screaming at each other, and we got to sit in and listen. And because we tried to figure out how to learn how to begin to heal a wound in our community, I, I didn't start that small group so I could meet more friends. I started for discipleship so I could minister to people who were hurting And by the end of it, the 25 of us or so that went through that six weeks together had had some of the deepest discussions on race I've had in my nearly 43 years of life. I pursued trying to figure out how to help people who were hurting. And I met people along the way who have now become my friends in my spiritual community. There are too many people who say, man, I would go help someone who's hurting. I just need someone to go with me. Listen, Jesus will go with you. And as you do it, you will meet more people. The early Christians pursued community impact. They found out who had needs. They figured out how to meet those needs. And they experienced community. They served together. I believe there's nothing that creates a stronger bond than serving together. If you want to know the people in our church who are closest to one another, it's people who have gone on mission trips together. People who boarded a plane, didn't even know anyone else sitting on the plane, who by the, got, by the time they got off the plane after seven to ten days of ministry, they were closer to any person in any church they'd ever, that they'd ever been to. You say, I want to meet people in a church. Start serving Jesus. Here, a lot of people say, I go on a mission trip. I just don't know anyone. Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, you can go on a mission trip. And I promise you, as you serve, you'll meet people. If it's not going on a mission trip, it's serving in the community. You say, well, I don't know anyone. You know Jesus. Serve with Jesus. You'll meet someone else who serves Jesus along the way. It's serving at church. You say, I'd serve at church. I don't know anyone. That's not the purpose. Serve Jesus. As you serve Jesus, you'll get to know people. Man, I'm so proud of our community impact ministry this summer because the thing we do that makes the most impact got canceled with COVID. We do a week every summer called Serve Week where we mobilize more than 1,000 volunteers to serve for a period of seven days, three to 5,000 hours of community service with dozens of ministry partners from around the community. And this year we knew we had to cancel it because our community partner said, you can't send 50 people to help us. It's too big. And our local jurisdiction said, we don't like having people serve together in groups of more than 10. So two weeks before our community impact director, Sherry Hinnick, had a hip surgery that would lay her up for six weeks. I said, Sherry, is there any way, since we can't do our serve week, that we can do like a serve summer Is there any way, and I know you're getting ready to have surgery, and I'm sorry for doing this for you, but is there any way you can line up all of our projects from June 1st to August 1st, figure it all out before you have surgery, and even if we do it in groups of 10, get our church serving all summer long? I know God wants us to serve our community. We've got to figure out how to make it happen. She said, I'll work on it. And by the end of the summer, we had 1,100 different people who had served in our community. Mind you, when 300 were coming to church on Sunday. 1,100 different people who had served in our community. More than 23,000 meals served 
in our community. 59 different ministry uh, partners served in our community over the course of 12 weeks because our church wasn't back, but the ministry was still needed. So we said, let's go on mission and just trust that God will bring people. And he did. Since then, we've opened our impact center in more than 2,800 individuals. Uh, 2,800 individuals have had the opportunity to receive clothes and food um, and prayer for what they need for their next step of life. You say, well, I'd love to serve in the community. I just don't have anyone to do it with. Jesus will do it with you, and you will meet people as you go. I promise you. The early Christians also pursued evangelism. They pursued telling the world about Jesus, and as they did it, they experienced community. We struggled in this area this year. Because our church was shut down for 13 weeks and we thought, man, the thing we do is we help people understand who Jesus is and now we can't do that. And what God allowed us to do in 2020 was to tell more people about Jesus than we've ever told before in more places than we've ever spoken before. Over the 13 weeks we were shut down in COVID, we had people streaming our church services from nearly all 50 states. We had people streaming our church services live from Canada, Mexico, Guatemala, Panama, Ireland, Sweden, Germany, Serbia, Turkey, Turkey, India, the Dominican Republic, just to name a few, I could keep going, like more than 30 different nations because all their churches were shut down too, and they found ours online. Our Activate podcast was downloaded more than 64,000 times in 2020. Our mobile app was connected to 57,000 times in 2020. 35,000 people from 13 different countries logged on to our website to watch a service last year. In a year where we thought we can't serve, we can't share Jesus with anyone because no one's coming. Jesus said, you just keep doing what I've called you to, and I promise I'll give you the audience you need to help people understand who Jesus is. Just in our small church services this year, in small student ministry services, we saw 300 people make spiritual decisions for the first time. We baptized 79 people with 300 people who went through all four steps of our discipleship pathway called growth track. We had people who, when they said, man, I like... like, I'd love to live in spiritual community, but none of my friends know Jesus. Instead of trying to bring their friends to Jesus, they took Jesus to their friends and just said, I need, you to, I need to introduce you to someone who's really, really important to me. As they lived on mission, they experienced community. And here's what I need to tell you, Journey, as we get into 2021. If you live on mission, you'll experience community, I promise. But don't wait for community to get on mission. If I meet a friend, I'll go to small group. That's not how it works. If I meet a friend, I'll serve. That's not how it works. If I meet a friend, I'll go on a mission trip. Get on mission. Follow Jesus. Connect to the mission. I promise you, you will meet people on mission if you move. And here's how I know that. Because in 2020, if we would have waited for our church to come back to get back on mission, we would still not be on mission. Because half are still not here. Like if we just sat and said, all right, when, like when everyone's here, we'll start again. We still would not have started. So at some point you say, Jesus, it's all about you. Jesus, it's all about your mission. And not everyone is here yet, but we got to go. We got to go because 400,000 people have died just of or with or around COVID since March 12th. And every one of them has entered in eternity. So we better go. We meet on mission as we pursue Jesus and as we do what he has called us to do. And as you look at our annual report that's going to be emailed out today at 1230, if you're on our email list, if not, you can jump on our website. You're just going to see how good God was in all the areas of ministry as they celebrate in little 60-second snippets what God did. But here's what you need to know. What God did most is he encouraged us to keep pushing ahead towards the long-term vision that he's called us to. About twice a year, we share our 25-year vision that was shaped when we looked at our church after seven years and we said, if we will just do every seven years, if we will just do the same thing as we've done with the same growth rates we've had, what would our church look like in 25 years? We came up with a list of seven things we feel like God has called us to do that we are still on track for. Number one, if we just keep moving forward in ministry, if we don't stop and wait on people, but if we follow Jesus and know that people will come as we go, we believe by 2045 our church could have invested $20 million in a global missions community outreach and church planning. Right now we've crested $2 million. We're going to very soon begin to have a $1 million a year just at 15%. And our long-term vision, Pastor Scott and our finance team, have a plan to pay off any debt that we take on the church within 10 years. You say, why do you want to pay off all the debt in 10 years? Because our goal as a church is not to give away 15%, it's to give away 30%. We want to give 10% to church planning, 10% to global missions, 
10% to community impact. We're only given half of what we feel God has called us to. So we said, objective number one, pay off all the debt so we can give away more money. We think that's what God wants us to do. And we believe in 25 years we could be a church that's invested more than $20 million from what you've given into our community. We believe we can be a church that plants more churches, 20 church plants or campuses around the state of Missouri. And I think God has even expanded our vision on that. We started praying after we put this in our 25-year vision. We realized we don't know any church planners, so we started praying for a year. God, if we're going to plant churches, you're going to have to send us people who think they might want to do that. And this year we have our first kind of church planning resident. Christian and Hannah, if you guys would stand up and pull your mask off. I told them at 8 a.m. they can take their mask off. Just don't exhale until I'm done talking. So they're going to take a really deep breath and then try not to get anyone sick. This is Christian Grassi and his wife, Hannah. They've just moved from Las Vegas to Kansas City to go to Midwestern Baptist Seminary. Uh, Hannah has been a worship leader at a church um, called Hope Church in Las Vegas for the last 10 years. Her husband, Christian, was the college ministry director and then did small groups and discipleship for the last five years. And his heart just began to be moved to finish his Bible college and to finish his seminary because he felt like God might be calling him to plant a church or be a part of a church plant team in the upper Northwest um, part of the United States. And he wanted to connect with a church in Kansas City who could help get him ready for that. We told him we've been praying for God to send us church planners, but really his job over the next three years as we try to get him ready is he's going to help us develop a church planner residency program. So then three or four years when he leaves, we'll be able to invite in church planners three to five at a time. So starting in six or seven years, literally seven years from now, every year, we'll start three to five new churches all over America. We know God is calling us to do that. We know our country needs that. We've already begun to talk to our college students and interns, telling them we think we're going to bring in church planners that you're going to leave with. I told Christian at our 8 a.m. service, two of our interns have already told me in the past few weeks, and I said, what do you think God wants you to do in your life? They said, we think maybe we're supposed to go Christian wherever he goes. We just, we want to, we want to reach young people who don't know Jesus. If that's what he wants to do, we want to, we want to, we want to help him. Um, God is doing what he has called us to do. Would you guys welcome Christian and Hannah and thank them for being a part of our team. So excited to have them on board. We really believe God's calling us to have total village transformations leading to spiritual transformation across the globe. We want to find more places like Las Cedras in Guatemala that don't have fresh water, that don't have education, that don't have churches, that don't have homes for community leaders, that don't have sustainable living practices. And we want to go in and on every populated continent of the globe have a footprint where Journey helps people become spiritually transformed by building the community that God has called them to build. We have a goal to send 500 missionaries from our church to the mission field. Every time I say that, I think that's absolutely impossible. Why, Lord, would you even want us to write that down and speak it publicly? I've been saying it for two years and we haven't had one. And then last Thursday, one of our team members who works in our finance office and oversees our uh, global missions outreach, uh, Ashley Moore, Ashley and Emily, stand up if you would. Um, Ask if she could have breakfast with Danielle and I. And through the course of conversation, Ashley has mobilized our mission trips the last several years at our church. Emily Puckett, is one of our missionaries who we supported in Panama. When COVID broke out, she kind of came back here. And the last year they have spent trying to figure out a program to send 500 missionaries to the mission field. But Ashley told Danielle and I Thursday, she said, I think probably the first part of this plan is Emily and I, we're leaving in 2022 and we're going to the mission field. God has called us to go. Um, they're going to head back down to Panama, be a part of a church plant in Panama that will allow them not only to minister to the Panamanian people. Uh, Emily will have a unique ministry to a Chinese community that lives in Panama, but they are going to be a part of a church that has, um, a, as a part of it, a training home where missionaries from our church, kids who are thinking about missions, can go down and stay a month, three months, a semester, learn how to do mission, and then springboard all across the world. When Ashley told us, she was leaving for us she would be number one I got in the car after breakfast and was like so excited and I thought Lord yes 499 more to go Um, and Danielle's crying I'm like Danielle why are you crying we've known Ashley since she was 13 Um, her little brother and my son started playing upward basketball together when they were in kindergarten Um, I said Danielle why are you crying and she said I just realized if our mission and vision works that everyone we pour into is going to leave aren't they and I said yes hopefully hopefully Because none of our ministry is about journey. It's all about Jesus. So yes, if it works, they will leave us and they'll leave journey because they're following Jesus. Yes. Yes, if it works, everyone we pour into 
is going to leave. But if we stay on mission, God's going to bring more. It's going to bring more because you meet on mission. Would you thank these two ladies for their faith and the big step they're going to take to get us ready to send 500 people to the mission field? Our Journey Bible Institute that we're so excited about. We're developing a discipleship program right now for our church that one day we hope will be accredited. Our Journey Ministry School, we've got nearly 20 interns right now who are going through that, but we'd like to connect with a Bible college so they can get college credit for it. And then we believe, number seven, the Journey to Life Home for Unwed Pregnant Teens. Uh, one of, one of the worst things happening in our world right now is the abortion crisis, but you're not going to change it by law. You're going to change it one life at a time by loving young girls who get pregnant and who need help. So we've got a vision to have a home for young girls in our community who are pregnant and say, I want to keep my baby, but somebody has to help me. We want to say, we're, we're, we're here. We're here. We've got a huge vision for that. And if we would have pressed pause in 2020 until everything would have reset, still wouldn't be moving forward but because we held on to Jesus with both hands and because we lived on mission as best we could folks we're still on track to do what God has called us to what is journey it's an ecclesia who wants to do business with God business in their heart business in the world it's an ecclesia who wants to minister to one another and be around each other it's an ecclesia who wants to reach the world serve the world help the world it's an ecclesia who's attached to Jesus and his mission and knows everything in life follows that. So excited for what God did in 2020. I'm really hopeful for what God's going to do in 2021 because folks, we've got a lot of work to do, but one day at a time with Jesus, one day at a time on mission, and we're going to get there. Amen. Amen. That's our goal. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed in the room today. Let me ask you, what did you hear today and what is your response? said a lot, but what did you hear and what is your response? God, we ask you before this message to speak to us. We told you that we would be listening. So God, if you have spoken anything specific to any person in this room or those watching online, reveal it to them today so they can capture it, plant it in their heart and pursue it. God, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for your mission. God, we thank you for the temple gatherings, the ecclesia that allow us to come together on Sundays to do business, to do business with you personally and to do business with you for what you want us to do in our world. But Lord, we know that church really happens when we scatter, not when we gather. So God, as we go today, help us to go with the business you've given us to accomplish. God, we thank you for your people who we meet along the way. One on a mission trip here, one in a men's group here, one servant in the community here, one servant as an usher here. Lord, just as we live on mission, you just bring spiritual community around us and eventually conversations move from lingering after church to our living rooms to just time together where we, where we grow into spiritual family. We believe that's happening and it can happen better where we're moving. And God, we ask that you'd help us. Lord, thank you that you told us in March, really through the lens of our elders, don't wait to pursue the mission. You got to go. Lord, thank you in July when we considered pausing again through the voice of our elders. You said, no, stay on mission. Thank you that you called us to pray because, Lord, so many that came to pray stayed for church. And God, thank you for what you're doing in our church and churches around our city that are loving Jesus and pursuing his mission. Help us to accomplish all that you've called us to. Starting with giving our hearts and our lives to you, starting with giving our hands to your mission, starting with moving forward. Lord, let us meet you and those you have for us in life on the mission you've given us. And God, as we do it, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.